0: 110 um, y por mientras quiero decir un gusto para ver mis amigos de México es un gusto para conocer ustedes y espero tal th- vez más tarde podemos hablar un poco más. I wanted to thank you for your prayers for us over the last few months. We've um, lots of things been going on and um, we're just thankful for the prayers of God's people. Uh, we were able to go to Peru in January and um, uh, while we were there, we were wondering if we were going to go because Peru was going through some s- political strife, and we weren't sure if we would actually be able to get where we had to go. But uh, it was just to give you an idea, we flew in on the way home, we flew into Lima, and we had a friend there who picked us up at the airport because we weren't sure if we should leave the airport because there was a lot of unrest in the city. And um, he said, No, no, you're okay, there's nothing around where you're going. So he took us there. You have to remember Lima is around, I think there's around 12 million people in Lima, so it's a good-sized city. So he takes us there, brings us back to the airport later in the day, so instead of waiting 12 hours in the airport, we got to rest, get back to the airport. Next day, I'm looking at my phone, checking the news on Peru. All the protests had moved, guess where? To the airport. So thanks to God, we we got in and out, and we were able to have a little break, but um, and then I was in Bolivia, and again, there were protests. Uh, the teachers were on strike, and when they strike, they close all the roads. Um, but they don't strike on the weekend or Mondays. I was traveling on Monday, so I got to go free. <laughs> so just thankful to see God um, watching over us and um, providing for us. I'd like to take in the next few minutes to look at this psalm, Psalm 110. And um, we're gonna, I'm going to read through it first, and we'll open with a word of prayer and... of a few thoughts from that so psalm 110 um follow along in your bibles please it says the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand till i make your enemies your footstool the lord shall send the rod of your strength out of zion rule in the midst of your enemies your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning you have the dew of your youth the lord has sworn and will not relent You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Now, let's just take a moment before we start looking at this to ask God to help us to... First of all, be, be able to listen. That's probably the most important thing, is that we can hear. Because there's many things to distract us, um, and yet God wants to communicate to you and to me. That's the one thing we need to understand. God has a message for you and for, him, for me from his word. And he's able to teach us that by his Holy Spirit. So let's pray that he do that. But secondly, let's also pray that our hearts will be receptive. Because it's one thing to hear something, But it's another thing to apply the things we've heard. So let's just ask God for that as we pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are weak and and frail, and so we pray that you would help us this morning, first of all, just to listen. Oh God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be free to speak to us today to communicate the truth of your word to our hearts and father may our hearts be receptive may you be able to to indicate those areas that need to be changed those areas that need to be repented of areas of growth lord and so i pray O god would you just move among us O god and and show us the lord jesus christ that we may become closer and closer to him we pray this now in his name amen As we look at this psalm the one thing i want you to kind of keep in the back of your minds is that we're talking this is a messianic psalm and that means it's focusing on the lord jesus christ and above all things that you and i need if there's one thing we need in our life of all the things that are pressing upon us there's one thing that is important and i don't know if you remember the story of mary and martha and and mary had gone or jesus had gone to the house of mary and martha and lazarus and um And Martha was the hostess. She was the consummate hostess. So she's busy in the kitchen doing all this stuff. But where was Mary? Mary was there, and she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know if Jesus was sitting by a drum or what he was sitting by, but there's Jesus sitting there. And there is Mary at his feet. And Martha comes out of the kitchen, and she's frustrated because there's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's busy in the kitchen. And it's like... Like, Jesus, won't you tell her to get up and come help me? And what did Jesus say? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Martha, Martha, he says, you're troubled about a lot of things. But now listen to this. Mary has chosen the better part. She's chosen the better thing. And what was that better thing? It was to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to him. Folks, the one thing God wants for us to do is to get close to Jesus and to sit still and to listen. The world doesn't want that because you know what happens when we get close to Jesus? There's two things. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us one thing. We realize where we've sinned. As we spend time with him, we start to look in our hearts and we realize, this is sin in my heart and I have to confess it. But you know what else happens? We begin to see what he's really like you know what it overcomes us and you know what's amazing Martha got it because later on when Lazarus died and Jesus comes to her do you remember what she said she was one of two people that would say this great exclamation because she would say to Jesus I know that you are the Christ the son of God she got who he was folks let's get close to Jesus Let's look at him and see who he is and what he's like. And let's just spend time in his presence. Because when we do and we leave to go into the world, what happens? The world is different. The 12 disciples went into the world. And and then the, the people that grew came out of that. And people would say, the people who have changed the world are come here. Oh, that we would be like that and change the world. Why? Because we spent time in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So let's, let's take a, f- a few minutes to look at this psalm and to see what it says. It's, as I mentioned, it's a messianic psalm. And what we're going to be doing in this psalm is we're going to be looking Backward. All right, and we're going to look backward at the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, but we're also going to look forward on what's yet to come. There's a prophetic aspect to this of what's going to come, and, and there's something we need to remember when we look at prophecy. Most people like to look at prophecy. They go, oh, I love the book of Revelation. to see all that's going to come on, but there's, a, there's something very important about prophecy. Number one, there's a warning. There's a warning. When we lived in Peru, we used to travel up north, and um, we'd go to this one village to preach, and as you're driving through there, right in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the, the main road, there's a speed bump. And so you're traveling down the road at, you know, 60 miles an hour, or whatever it is, and you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, there's a speed bump. Now, sometimes, there was a sign, and when you saw the sign, you knew you better slow down, or you're going to hit it, and it's like, bang, it just bang! And everybody, usually they were asleep in the back, and then everybody fly off the benches and go everywhere. If you saw the sign, you'd gear down, and, and then go over it, and then keep it going. But quite a number of times, there was no sign. And guess what happened? You're driving down the road, 60 miles an hour, so bang! And it's like, or you might just see it just at the last minute. Somebody would say, they'd say in Spanish, Hee-ba! and it's like, whoa, and you're hitting the brakes, and everybody falls off their seat anyway, and then you make it over. God's giving us a warning. There's a big speed bump coming. Get ready. That's number one. But there's something else. As we look at prophecy and look forward to what's coming ahead, it's, it's, it should have an effect on us that as we look at these things that, wow, this is what is ahead for us. Not only what's ahead for us, but what's ahead for the Son of God, the one who died and saved me. Okay, so there's, there's a, a warning, but there's also what should stimulate us to worship as we look at what's coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, <clears throat> when we look at this psalm, we're going to really, it picks up after the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. So the Lord Jesus has died. He's been buried and risen again. But you know, The ministry of the Lord Jesus doesn't finish there. We focus on that a lot, but there's so much more yet to come. And that's what we want to look at today. And so I've kind of called this, it's a messianic song, but I've called this the Exalted King. And so we begin by seeing here in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, notice two things. There's two names here in the first verse. The Lord, which is Jehovah. John mentioned that title during the breaking of bread. That's the name I am. Okay? So Jehovah is, it's I am, but instead of saying I am, it's he is. We say I am, you are, he is. Well, in this case, that's Jehovah's name. He is. So when we say Jehovah, we're really saying that name. I am the one who is not only eternal, but self-existing. He alone is God. And so he is speaking. And what is he saying? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so the second name there is the the word Adon. And it's a Lord or master, someone who has authority. All right, so Jehovah is speaking to the Lord, the mass, and he says to him, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, David, of course, is speaking prophetically, but let's turn over to get some context to see who is this talking about. And we're gonna look in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And the Lord Jesus here is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and look what he says, he, he, he goes to a little discussion with them, asks them who they think Christ is, and they agree that he's the son of David. But then in verse um, 43, he says this, um, if he's the son of David, he says, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Because David said, we just saw in our psalm, the Lord said to my Lord. So David is saying, the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, And and they understood, now get this, so we get the context here, they understood the Jews believed the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come. They believed he would be a son of David, but that's where they stopped believing, because they did not yet believe that the Christ, the Messiah, would actually be, who? The Lord, the Son of God. That's where the conflict came between them and Jesus because he was telling them that he was indeed the Son of God. And so Jesus asked them this question and they've got no answer for him. But let's turn over to the book of um, Acts, Acts chapter 2, and we'll hear Peter because Peter understood it in Acts chapter 2. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching. and, And listen to what he says here because he's quoting back, Um, We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 34 and verse 35. And Peter is quoting here um, from Psalm 110, and we'll read what he says there. He said, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. All right, so he's quoted that, and he's telling them that this is what the Lord had said. But now look at verse 36, because this is where it really comes home. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly or know for sure that God, Jehovah, has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Who did he make him? Look what it says there. It says he's made him both Lord and Christ. Oh, they believe the Christ part. That there would be one who would come and be Christ, but he wasn't just Christ, he's Lord. All right? That means he's the Son of God. And that's where they ran into problems. They did not want to believe that he was the Son of God. But the truth is, if he were not the Son of God, there would be no salvation for anyone. He had to be the Son of God to be able to come and to die in our place. And so Peter says this, that this is the eternal Son of God. And now... I want to touch on this very briefly because sometimes we, we get this mixed up in our head. And, and John actually touched on this. He did a good prelude to what I want to touch on this morning. When Jesus rose and went to heaven, he's seated right now, we see this, at the Father's right hand. And something new happened. What happened? Well, Jesus ascended and the Father is inviting who to sit at his right hand? He's inviting the Christ, the Son of Man, to sit at his right hand. Now, why do I make this distinction? Because Jesus always was and always is and always will be the Son of God. He always had all the glory that there ever is as the Son of God. He never, ever lost that. Please understand that. Even here here on earth, he was the Son of God with all the glory. Now, he didn't display that glory, but it was his. So he always was that, all that glory. But what happened? What was different? When he rose from the dead, when God raised him up, God then said to him, sit at my right hand. Who? A man. He asked a man to sit at his right hand. Who was that man? It was Jesus Christ. Christ. So now in heaven, for the first time, there is a man sitting at God's right hand. And who is it? It's the one who died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. It's Jesus. He still bears the marks. If you, if you doubt that, go to Revelation chapter 5 and it talks about that. So now in heaven, At God's right hand is a man, and God is saying to that man, as we read in our our psalm, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now just turn to uh, Matthew chapter 26, because Jesus understood this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. So Jesus is before the council, the Sanhedrin, and the high priest comes to him, and he says to him, I put you, and this is verse 63, he says, I put you under an oath by the living God, tell us if you're the Christ, now notice this, the Son of God. Listen to Jesus' answer. Verse 64, he says to him, Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, look at this, hereafter, and this is the idea from now on, Look what's going, where they're going to see him. You will see, notice the title here Jesus uses. He doesn't use son of God. He doesn't use Christ. He says you will see who? I think it's up here. The son of man. He's drawn attention that he would be raised up and he would sit at the, sit at the father's hand, right hand as the son of man. Why does that matter? Because it was a man who died in your place and mine. It had to be a man. I'll give you an example. If I go to court, I've done some heinous crime, and I am condemned to die. Now, I know in Canada they don't do that anymore. They don't execute people for their, their crimes. But let's suppose I'm somewhere where they do. And I, they say to me, you are sentenced to be executed on such and such a date. And I say, excuse me, yeah, could somebody take my place? Oh, for, Well, I suppose the law allows that. In most places, the law allows somebody to take your place. And I say, well... I'd like my dog to die in my place. Are they going to allow that? No. They they might allow a person to take my place, but they won't allow the dog to take my place. A man had to die for you and for me. And who was that man? It was Jesus. And where is that man today? Seated at the Father's right hand. Amazing, isn't it? That's what God's plan was. And so you see him here saying, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus says that. We'll finish the verse here. He says, Hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now that brings us to our next verse in our passage back in um, Psalm 110. And, And look what it says next. It says, The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So here the Lord Jesus is now seated at the Father's right hand. And he says to him, rule in the midst of your enemies. And the idea in verse 2 is, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength. The idea is a scepter. All right, the king would carry a scepter. That was a sign of his authority. And when he carried that, that sign, um, if he would extend it, he could extend it in mercy, like you see in the book of Esther. When she came close, he extended, and she received mercy. Or he could do with that in judgment to put someone to death. And you see, Nebuchadnezzar had a good habit, or bad habit of doing that all the time. Well, here he has that scepter, and he's extending it to rule. Now, I want you to see a verse that's connected with this. Turn over to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel, chapter 7. And it shows you again here the Lord Jesus. Daniel, chapter 7. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> and Daniel says there, Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and verse 14. Look what it says there. and Watch close. See if you pick it out. It says, I saw, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the, notice the title here, one like the who? The son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he came to the ancient of days. Now, if we were to go to preceding verses, we'd see that that Daniel saw, he saw God exalted on his throne, the ancient of days. And so here comes this son of man that's brought to him and what happens? Verse 14, look what it says. Then to him, to the the Son of Man, was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that's yet to come. This is what he's promising them of what's to come. And so when we read this in our verse, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. We see the Lord Jesus Christ one day. He will come and he will reign. Do you ever get tired of the way things are handled by governments on earth? And and I can look in around here. We've got a multicultural uh, group here, international group. And I know that all of us have seen somewhere around the world Governments that don't act correctly, that abuse their powers, that abuse their people. Well, I'm telling you, based on the Word of God, that one day the Lord Jesus Christ Himself is coming to reign and He's going to rule over all. And we read there that His dominion and His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, no one can overthrow His kingdom. No one will be able to overthrow his kingdom. And so his, his, his power will extend over all, and he will rule over his enemies. Um, and then if you just quickly go back to Psalm 2, Psalm 2, and look at verse 8. And this is another uh, psalm that speaks about the Lord Jesus. And in Psalm 2, verse 8, through myself, says there, listen to it, it says, um, the father is speaking to the son. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So one day the Lord Jesus Christ will refer, uh, will rule over all. And, And as such, when he rules over all, everybody will be subject to him. Now, just turn to Psalm 45 to see the character of his kingdom. Psalm 45, verse 6. Because what kind of ruler will he be? Will he be a good one or will he be a bad one? Um, part of the problem we had in Peru this uh, this J- January when we went was that in December, the, pri- the president had tried to... The Congress had tried to impeach him three times. They're going on number four. And he said, no, this is enough. And he tried to then shut down the Congress and say, I will rule by decree, so basically as a dictator, and the Congress then said, no, you won't, and they booted him out, Um, so you see, the government doesn't even know what it should be doing, or or not doing what it should be doing, however, what happens here, what's the character of his kingdom, well, in Psalm chapter, Psalm 45, look at verse 6 and 7, And it says your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And notice now this scepter. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. One day when the Lord Jesus reigns, he will do what is right all the time. You will know that when you go to him, you will receive a right judgment. Now, that's not always the case here on earth. Um, We've seen examples in, in different countries where we live that, you know, somebody goes to the judge and you expect this answer, but if somebody else pays a little extra money, he doesn't do what should be done. But this king will reign in righteousness. He will always do what is right. He will be faithful to his character in every way. Now, Notice then right after that in Psalm 110 what it says next about the people. It says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. And so you see that the relationship of God with man is one, right from the beginning, God has called on us to obey him, to believe him first and then obey him. He did that right from Adam and Eve, right in the garden. He asked them to obey him. Don't eat from the fruit of this tree because the day you eat of it, you will die. So they had to obey, believe him, and obey him. Did they believe him? No. They didn't believe God. They instead believed the lie of Satan. Satan came along and he told them, he says, basically, God is not good. He's holding out on you. And they believed the lie rather than the truth. And today, God is calling on us to believe him and to obey him. And what is it we are to believe? Well, we are to believe, yes, I am a sinner, I've sinned against the holy God. But then the part of obedience is that, that, not only, that I recognize that, but then I confess it, and I can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's died for my sin. We are to believe him, and we are to obey him. And so, as such, when we obey him, then we can offer ourselves to him, and that's what these people are doing. Because um, he's looking for those who are ready to listen. And so for us nowadays, Romans 12:1 is a good example. What am I to do? because no, I'm not living in those future days now, I'm living today. What are you and I to do? Because the idea is when those people offer themselves in our verse, it says the people shall be willing, and the idea here, folks, just look up front here, that when they're willing, the idea is offering a sacrifice, a free will offering. They're offering themselves to God. Well, that's what God wants from you and I. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present yourselves, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So he's not asking us to cut our throats and to die. He's asking us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know something? I won't step on the tail. What I thought of it. But pretend that I step on this, and this is the altar. If you read through the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, once something went on that altar, once it went, was given to God, it was holy, and it could never be taken back again. It was his. And once I present my body as a living sacrifice, it's not mine anymore. And that verse is true. It's no longer I that liveth, but the Christ that liveth in me. Is that true for you? You know, some days the truth of that, the reality is we have to keep reminding ourselves, it's not me anymore, it's Christ. And I have to surrender day by day, my eyes, my ears, my mind, my hands, my feet, day by day, remember that I am on that altar, never to get off the altar again. See, he's looking for willing sacrifices. Are you willing to offer yourself to God? These people did that. Are you willing to offer yourself to God as that that free will offering? And so it says, your people will be volunteers in the day of his power. But notice something, that those who refuse to obey him will ultimately bear the judgment. Because God is inviting us to come today. But there will come a day where he will judge all those who refuse to listen. Why? Because they've rejected him and ultimately they've rejected his sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reality is he has nothing better to give. He's given to you and to me his very best. And one day if we stand before him and we've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, that will be really the only question. What did you do with Jesus? Did you believe in him? And if you say, no, well, there's nothing else. There's absolutely nothing else because God has given to us his very most precious um, thing. And that what is that? It's his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he then goes on from there. He says in verse, the rest of verse 3, he says, In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now, there's some different uh, translations of that, but the idea is there, when you think of it, the Lord Jesus, as he comes out one day to execute and to rule and to reign over all, to execute judgment and rule and reign over all, he will do it on the basis of his character as holy. And what does that mean? I don't know about you, but often I would associate holiness just kind of with that part of God separate from sin. But do you realize that his love is holy? Because the idea of holiness is something that's separate. It's something unique. His love is unlike any love there ever is. It's holy. It's untainted by any bias or anything like that. His his grace is holy. Holy. There's no grace like his grace. And we could go down the list. His mercy, his judgment, holy, separated. Unlike the judgment or the mercy or the grace of the world, his is so unique. It's pure, untainted by anything evil or sinful. And so here he comes, and he's coming in the beauty of holiness, separated from all that would tarnish or or mar his character. You know, when you look at political leaders around the world, and you don't even have to go very far, and every one of them has some blotches on their reputation, don't they? They fail to do something, even the very best of them. We could say, yeah, but did you hear about this? It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. But when he comes and he establishes his kingdom, no one will be able to say, yeah, but did you hear about this? Why? Because his record is perfect. And really, where did his record start? It started with him coming here and dying for you and for me. See, he wants us to come to him on the basis of the work that he's done. Wouldn't you be willing to offer yourself to him, someone who's died in your place? We were meeting with a couple this week and just talking a little bit about um, marriage and that. And um, I said to the wife, if your husband was willing to die for you, like if he had that attitude that he was at any moment ready to lay down his life, what kind of attitude would you have for him? I said, I hope you'd have one that you love him and that you respect him and that you just, this is, what a guy, look at him, he's ready to die for me at any minute. He's literally, and, and not just to die, but to sacrifice himself for me. Well, that's what the Lord has done for us. And how do we respond to that? Do we respond like, just like we saw earlier that, that I, I want to give myself to him? Or do we kind of hold back and say, yeah, not really. I'm kind of hanging on to this part. You know, this is mine. He's given it all. He gave his life. Why do we hold back on him? And so he says there, the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning and, and this is the idea, from what I understand, it's the idea of that, that daybreak. And what's, what's amazing about that is when you look through the scripture, you see Jesus is described. For example, he says in Revelation chapter, i going to find it here in my notes here, he says, Revelation chapter 22, he says, I'm the bright and morning star. And in Luke chapter 1, um, Zachariah, speaking about the Lord Jesus, called him the day spring. That, that first light, when you look at the, look at the horizon and you see the, 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 the rays of light coming up, he's that light that shines up and illuminates the darkness of the world. Remember, that's what's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus, that the light has shined in darkness. And who is that light? It's the Lord Jesus. You know, he's everything for us. He's the light in the darkness. He's the food for my soul. He's the water of life. The Lord Jesus is meant to be everything for us. And so there he comes. He's that, that you see that, um, the light shining. And then it says, you have the dew of youth. That, that he, you remember the dew? The dew shows up first thing every morning. And you go out. And it's, the idea is it refreshes the grass. It refreshes the ground. And that's what the Lord Jesus does. When we spend time with him, I don't know about you, but I... My time is in the morning. I like to get up. Usually I'm able to do that now with no kids in the house. Get I always was able to. They were not early risers. Um, to get up and to spend time with the Lord, to read the Bible and to pray and just to spend time with Him. And it's just so refreshing for the soul. Just like that dew refreshes the grass. He refreshes our soul and kind of gets us firm and ready to go for the day. Well, look at the next verse. We can move, move along here. talks about his priesthood because this next verse kind of stands almost, it seems, out of place. We're talking about a king. He's exalted. And suddenly we come to this, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And at first it may stand out as different But when you look in the Old Testament, you see two offices that were both important. One, of course, was the office of the king, the one who ruled over the land. But the other one that was equally, if not more important, was the high priest. And the high priest was the one who would go into the presence of God for the people representing them before God. And what you find here is that what has God done? He's showing that the Lord Jesus is not the one who ultimately rules over all, but he's also the one who can save all, who can deliver all of us. And how did he do that? Well, by offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. And so he says that here. He says, the Lord has sworn and will not repent or relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so the Lord has um, put in him this office of high priest. Now, just a few words about Melchizedek. If we turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Now, he's mentioned back in uh, Genesis chapter 14. But Hebrews chapter 7 kind of gives us the uh, quick overview of what it says there. In Hebrews chapter 7, it says there in verse 1, Hebrews 7 verse 1, speaking about Melchizedek. And we're going to notice three things it tells us about Melchizedek. And this is not by chance. It's kind of exciting when you see pieces starting to come together. Look what it says here. For this Melchizedek, remember he met Abraham when Abraham was returning um, after rescuing Lot. It says, so this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being translated. Now notice this. These are the titles of Melchizedek. First of all, he's called king of what? What? righteousness. Then secondly, then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. And he's also so he's king of righteousness. That's his name, Melchizedek. Secondly, he's king of Salem, which is king of peace. And thirdly, what's his other title? He's priest of the most high God. Wow. We're looking at our psalm and we're seeing Jesus presented as king and as high priest. And here's this Man, hundreds of years before, Melchizedek, who was also presented to us as a king and as a priest. Well, he was just a little picture, just a little snapshot, and he's only there a few verses. God brought him out so ultimately he could show us that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to, in him would meet all those important offices, the office of the king and the office of the high priest, because Lord Jesus God has made him everything to us. And so he is king, and he's also high priest. Because what had happened was this. If you remember, God gave uh, Moses the law, and he set up the priesthood of Aaron. And then Aaron's son took over. And then after Aaron's son, it was Eliezer, and after Eliezer was Phinehas, and so it went down the line. But what was the problem with these priests? Well, this year it's Aaron going in, presenting, presenting the offering before God, but he had two problems. Number one, he was sinful himself. He had to offer a sacrifice for himself, didn't he? But the other problem was he was going to die. And so he couldn't keep on presenting, representing the people before God. But here comes the Lord Jesus. Was he sinful? He didn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself. He could go into the presence of God and he could bring an offering to God. But here's the key. What was the offering he brought to God? Well, he tells us this actually. it tells us this several places, but um, if you look over in Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 14, Hebrews chapter 10. We're just over a few pages, um, unless you're on your cell phone, then it'll be a few scrolls. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, or sorry, verse 14. Notice what he says there. It says, "For by one offering he has perfected um, forever." those who are being sanctified. And what was that offering? It was the offering of himself. What happened there? The Lord Jesus is not only high priest, but he also is the offering that pleased God. He's the one who pleased God. He is the one when he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins, God was satisfied. Someone had to die for your sin and for my sin. You know, I I think sometimes in all the scriptures and all the word and that we spend time in, we forget how awful our sins really are. How much God hates sin. Sin is against him. It's against his character, who he is. And you've sinned and I've sinned. We've gone against a holy God. And his judgment on that is death. We merit death but praise God see this is the amazing thing God then gave to us the sacrifice that we needed and what was the sacrifice was it an animal no an animal could never pay for my life just like the dog couldn't die for me an animal couldn't replace me it had to be someone who was perfect and who was that it was Jesus the son of God he died for you he died for me How awful is sin that it took the son of God, the perfect son of God, his life to pay for your sin and for mine. Stop and think about that this week. In the next day or so, think about what a price it was. But you know something, notice now, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Okay, so he says, sit down, I'm gonna take care of things for you. Now notice in Hebrews chapter eight, verse one, and notice what it says about him. It says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is, look at the word there. What does it say? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Why would he be seated? If you were to go to the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you know what you'd discover? There was no chair there. Because the high priest and the priest's work was never done. They would always be bringing new sacrifice because sin was not paid for But once Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, it was paid for. No more offering for sin. So if the work's all done, what do you do? I don't know about you, but when I'm done working, I sit down. Or sometimes lay down. It depends on how tired I am. But you sit down, and so there is Jesus now. As king, he's seated at the Father's right hand, but not just as king. He's also seated there as what? As my high priest, because the work is finished. Now, go back to chapter 7, one last verse before we move on. Ch- chapter 7, verse 25. Because this promise was, he says, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, look what it says then, look what he's able to do. 7, verse 25, Hebrews 7, verse 25. It says this, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost, and the idea is he's able to save forever forever, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There is Jesus, seated at the Father's right hand, and his very presence with the wounds still visible are there, to prove that he has died for you and for me. And it says he lives forever to make intercession for us. Now, please understand, I had a girl once asked him about that, and she kind of says, is it kind of like God's not quite sure he wants to forgive us? And Jesus kind of says, no, no, look, look, I paid, I paid, I paid. No, you have to understand that the Father and the Son are in this together. That, That when Jesus went up to the cross, it wasn't like God was standing with his arms crossed and saying, Yeah, you better do this right because you only got one shot. No, it's like Abraham and Isaac going up to that altar and you can imagine the heart of Abraham as he went up knowing that he was going to offer his son. Imagine the heart of the father as his son was laid on that cross and the spikes were driven into his hand. What would he have felt? If you're a father, you can only imagine what the father felt for that to happen. Oh, you read Jesus keeps saying in John over and over again, I and the Father are one. And there they've provided for that sacrifice. And so his wounds, it says, for us are pleading. And so he ever lives forever to make intercession for us. We need never doubt. And you know, I think that's as much for you and me as it is for God. Why? Because maybe I'll, I don't think it'll happen, but suppose it did, I'm in heaven, and go, oh, what about that one? And then I look and there's Jesus. At the Father's right hand, everything is paid for. No need to worry. It's all been settled. And so his wo- he's, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now, moving on then, we'll just, I'll just take a couple more minutes to finish up. You'll notice the last part of the psalm. Um, in verse 5, it says that the Lord is at your right hand. Now, it's saying there, speaking to the Father, seated on the throne, Jehovah, and he says, the Lord, Adonai, is at your right hand. Now what's amazing is this title for Jesus is only used of divinity. It's only used of God. And so he's speaking about Jesus, and he says, he's at your right hand. And then he goes on to begin to describe him. And and he tells us about him. And he says that he will come ultimately in judgment. Jesus is going to return, and there's going to be judgment. And if you read the book of Revelation, you will know, if you come to chapter 6, that at the end of chapter 6, you see that the lamb is angry. It says, the day of the wrath of the one who seated on the throne, and the lamb has come. Now, as strange as that is, because if you know anything about sheep, especially lambs, they don't have a, they're not mean by nature. They're not angry. And yet here is the Lamb who is angry. Why? Because of the consistent rebellion, not only against him, but against his father. And he's come to judge. And so you see in our passage it says he will judge. He's going to judge. He, he against those who were refused to believe him. And, and you have to remember that God has waited so long for men to repent. And that's why in in, uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul would say to him that the time has come to repent. God calls on all men to repent. And we can go out with that message that the time of repentance is now because there's a time of judgment that is coming. And you know, I won't read it again. John actually read this too for me. Um, The next passage I was gonna read is at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ coming. And he's coming, and it says he comes with a vesture dipped in blood. And he has a name written that no one knows. And then it says, it's, what's his title? It's, his title is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will rule over all. There is no one higher than him. He's coming to rule and to reign over all. And, and then notice um, in the next verse, it says, He will judge among the nations. He will fill the body, places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. Just very briefly, I'll point out to you there that he's going to do what is right. You know, you look at the horrors of war around us. I I, I was reading, been following a bit about the war in Ukraine and and between Ukraine and Russia. And you read of all the men have died. And it's just heart-wrenching to think that these young men have been sent into war and they've died. And so many of them pointlessly but how much more pointless is it to suffer the judgment of the Son of God when he's offered us salvation? There's no need to be under that judgment. He's paid the full price. And it's almost like he's loath to do it and yet he will do it because he's, that's his nature. He's holy even in his judgment. And so ultimately he will judge. But it's, it, as it says in... Um, it's in Jeremiah. It says, really, that judgment is his strange work. That's not the first thing he wants to do. The first thing he wants to do is show us mercy. And so it finishes up. It says, He shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. And so you see him being refreshed as he goes on. Unlike the earthly leaders, he's not going to be discouraged. You read that in Isaiah chapter 42. You know, you, you see earthly leaders, they just keep getting bombarded and bombarded, and finally it's like, I quit or else they lower their standard. But that's not him. He will continue on, and he'll be unfazed. He's going to be faithful right to the very end, carrying out um, the judgment that God has uh, um, um, demanded for those who rebel him. And so to wrap up, I'm sorry, I've kind of hastened along here um, to wrap it up here. Um, I'd just like you to turn with me to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter 2, and there's verses you all know, but they're, they're always worth repeating. Because if I can finish off where we started, when we come and we, as it were, sit down by the foot of the throne in heaven, and we look up and we see there is, this, is God, and see that his right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we start to reflect on who he is and what he's done, And we think about what is yet to come. How does that affect us? How should I then live in the light of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? The life that he's offered. And remember that we're called to be like him. I'm supposed to be like him in this world. I'm to be a little Jesus in Moncton, New Brunswick. You are to be a little Jesus in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Imagine if we lived that out, how this world would be transformed. Jesus everywhere. Well, Look what he says here, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. With this we will close. Speaking about Jesus, how it says there in verses um, 5 on how he humbled himself and was obedient to death, the death of the cross. But look at verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him And he's given them the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus, this is where we started, Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Shall we pray? Father, we come to you this morning, this afternoon, and we're thankful for Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you that you would send him into the world. Father, that that he would come into this world that, that hated him, and yet he would please you and you would be delighted with him and that he would ultimately do your will. Father, we're thankful that your will was to provide a means of salvation for us. Father, we're thankful that the story didn't end there with his death, but that you raised him up and you've seated him at your own right hand in heaven at your right hand is the Son of God, the Son of Man. Lord, we thank you for him. And I pray now for everyone here today. Oh, Father, may the truth of that truly change us. May we go from here to live a life devoted to you. Father, may we reflect the glory of your Son in this dark world. And may we draw many sons and daughters to glory. Oh, Father, we pray for the lost around us. Help us to be witnesses in this dark world. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.